some thoughts about this here that I wanted to share with you because I know we've not all been here together and I want to just reiterate this, that I believe that God is about to do good things and big things. So I just want to say to you, be prepared in your heart. And here's one of the things as we are talking about, even next month we're going to be doing a series called uh, Found Family. We're going to talk about our community. We're going to talk about small groups. We're going to talk about building relationships, not just when we come together on Sunday morning, but outside of that. Because I believe this, that we need community. So I want to encourage you in 2024 to make a greater commitment to show up. Show up, be a part, be engaged, engage with other people. And then the Lord told me that we need to speak faith. We need to speak to whatever situations that we are going through, whatever it is that we need to speak the truth of God's word. Regardless of what we need, we see, regardless of the, the, the things that maybe we are battling with, we need to speak what God says about situations. Can I hear an amen for that? And then the last thing the Lord put on my heart is that we need to obey God. We need to obey his word. We need to follow it, not just speak it, not just declare it, but actually follow it. You see, faith is measured by our obedience to God and his word. Amen? So today I declare is a day of freedom. Today is a day of turnarounds. And here's the scripture for our turnaround series that the Lord put on my heart in December, and it was, Isaiah 43, 19, and he said this, for I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? We're going to pray that God will open our eyes. I will make pathways through the wilderness, and I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And I want to start off today by saying this. We all like new things or the thought of new things. That is until, listen to this, it challenges our old way of thinking. I love change. I want to see things change in my life, and I really, really like the idea of it. Naomi was talking about this a little bit. Until I actually have to do the changes. <laughs> until things get uncomfortable. Because when we begin to do things differently, they're not always comfortable, are they? And so the Lord says, I want to do some new things. They're not new things for him. we got to understand that. It's not a new thing for God. God has the same yesterday, today, forever. But there are things that maybe you and I haven't experienced in our lives that God wants to do. So he says, I'm about to do something new. A better interpretation would be, I'm about to do something different. Not different for God, but different for us. And God says, I'll make pathways in the wilderness and rivers or streams in the wasteland. What he's saying, I'm going to do things that you don't think are possible. I'm going to do them in places that you don't think it would happen at. I'm going to do things where other people would say, there's nothing going on over there. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something in the northeast of Calgary. A lot of people don't think anything can happen here. I'm a little excited about this. Because God says he's going to do things that seem maybe a little bit impossible for us. And we have to understand this. So when God's talking about this, what we have to understand is that we have to allow God to do things his way. He's not going to do it how you think it should be done. He's going to do it the way he wants to do it. You know why he does that? Because he's God. And we're not. And I'll probably share this a little bit more as I go deeper into my message. But we've got to break him out of 
the box sometimes that we put them in. Well, if God really loves me, he would do this. If God was really moving, he'd do this. If God was really working in this other person's life, he'd be doing it this way. If God, and we, we put them into these boxes. Like somehow we can fully understand God. And here's the thing, he doesn't desire, need or desire our approval, but he expects our adoration, <laughs> our trust. Because so, he's going to do things his way. He's going to move in areas that we, in situations that will not make sense to us. So over the last few weeks, as we've done the turnaround series, we started off by understanding that God wants to turn around some things. In the last couple of weeks, I, I'm trying to remember the first Sunday, Peter did something on relationships, I believe, and, and, and then I went into God wants to turn things around. That The first start of turnaround is that we have to repent, that, that repentance really, we get so caught up in this word, it's, it feels theological and heavy, but really it just means to change your direction. It means to, you are heading one way and God gets a hold of your life, and then you turn it into a different direction, that the first key to turnarounds in our life is repentance. And then Pastor Peter preached uh, uh, a week ago on the whole idea that God wants to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers, and that it's that first it, it is in our nuclear family, but that as well, he wants to turn people's hearts towards the church community that he's called us, who maybe don't have children, or our children are all grown up, or whatever it is, that we are to look to one another, the different generations, all have things of value, and God wants to turn our hearts towards each other so that we can see God heal our land and for his blessings to flow. And today I want to talk about a different turnaround, and it's this, that I believe that God wants to turn our mourning into dancing. That some of you have experienced some big challenges last year or the last few years. You've dealt with some things that are heavy. You've dealt with things where maybe you're not sure what's going on. And I'm here to tell you today that God wants to turn your mourning into dancing. Now, Peter stole my thunder last week when he played the Bonnie Tyler rendition of a, a total eclipse of the heart. And I'm just bringing it up because I feel it'll plant the seed in somebody's head and they're going to be like, why did you do that to me? All I can do is hear that song. But I want to start off by saying this, like growing up, I was a bit, um, little, we could say a bit disorganized, uh, maybe a little scatterbrained. Uh, you know, I, I, we, we had a kid that I coached in baseball. We called him yard sale. I could have been him earlier because everywhere he went, there's just stuff spread all over the field. We'd have to collect his gear, his equipment. I, w I was like that. I was that type of a person. And I was known to forget things at school or, or, or at home, like bringing my homework, um, my gym bag, uh, my jacket, and my dad's favorite, my bicycle. I remember my dad saying that each time he bought me a new jacket or bicycle, he'd wonder which needy kid would receive it, the benefit of my forgetfulness. That was his, he's like, I wonder how long this one's going to last. <laughs> now, as I've grown up, hopefully, I believe, I've become a bit more responsible. I say a bit, because there's still times, and my wife will vouch for this, that I can forget my wallet or my keys. I have moments, listen to this, now some of you are going to be like, no, you can't do this, where I leave my wallet or my keys on my desk or at worst in my car. 
Now, normally it's not a problem. And you're like, that sounds like a problem to me. Because not only is the car in the garage, but I have a, a little, I have a, an attack chihuahua guarding my home and my property. Now, there have been a few times where my forgetfulness has bit me. Usually it happens when my wife is backing out of the garage and I realize that my wallet or keys are in the car. Now, you have never seen a man go from complete relaxation into a state of panic. It happens in about one second. I jump up and I run frantically through the house, down the stairs, hoping to catch my wife's attention. And if that doesn't work, I come outside and I start waving my arms, yelling at the top of my voice, which I can just vouch for isn't great for my relationship with my neighbors or my wife. Now, when that fails, I, my final grasp of desperation is to grab my cell phone and start panic dialing as each call goes. Now, maybe you can relate to this as each call goes to voice messaging. <laughs> Makes sense because she's driving. See, hope fades to despair because you realize she cannot hear and she's not even aware of your plight. And no matter how much you fret or fury, the car is not going to turn around. Today, I'm going to talk about the fact that this year, for many of you, this is your year of turnaround. And I believe that today, God wants to begin incredible changes in your life. But even as you hear this, even as I speak this, even as I talk about this, maybe you wonder, you're wondering, you have some doubt in your heart, you have some, you're, you're not quite sure about it, because that if God can truly change your situation, you wonder that because of the past things you've experienced. Or even wonder if God hears you and does God care about the details of your life? I want you to know that God hears you today. I want you to know that God knows what's happening in your world. And that he is prepared to do something powerful. Starting today, I believe he's going to turn for you, your morning, into dancing. Who would like to see God do some greater turnarounds in our life? I think we need this. Listen to what it says in Psalms chapter 30, verses 10 to 12. It says, hear me, Lord, have mercy on me. Help me, Lord. Who here has cried that in the, some point in the last 12 months? Hear me, Lord, help me. I need your help. Maybe that's where you're at today. You have turned my morning into joyful dancing and have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. Listen to this, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Now I want to start off by looking at a story in the book of 1 Samuel. It is actually a story about Samuel's mother right before Samuel was born. And in the name of the lady that Samuel was born, his mother's name was Hannah. And Hannah was one of two wives of a man named Elkanah. And Elkanah loved Hannah, but for whatever reason, she could not become pregnant. And to make matters worse, she had a sister wife who would taunt her and shame her for not being able to have children. 
And in their society, I know that many people here, and I, my heart's praying for you, we're believing God for those of you that want to have children but haven't been successful in that area. We're praying that God is going to do some good things in your life. We're believing for that. And that can be disappointing. But you have to understand that in her society, not only was she suffering the disappointment of not being able to have a child, but, it would, but she would encounter shame from friends and family and the community as childlessness was considered a curse from God. And the whispers would have been that God was disappointed with her, that somewhere in her life, somewhere, somehow, she probably did something to offend God. And so now, because of that, because of that sin or some other issue, she couldn't have a child. And so the story begins with the family making their annual pilgrimage to the tabernacle, which was located in the city of Shiloh. And here's what it says, starting in verse 3. It says, Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the lords of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. And on the days that Elkanah presented himself, presented his sacrifice, he'd give portions of meat to Peniah, Peniah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah... He would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penaniah would, would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year, listen to this, year after year it was the same. Penaniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. I thought about as I was studying this, the statement year after year it was the same. I know sometimes for each one of us, we can look at situations in our life. We can look at things that we are believing God for. We can look at things that we're hoping to change. And you can feel like Hannah felt that year after year after year after year, it's just the same thing. You believe God for it, you ask for it, and yet you don't see any change. In fact, in some situations, things actually maybe have gotten a little bit more difficult or worse. And it can cause our hearts to kind of begin to be like, oh, I, don't, I don't think God's going to do anything. He doesn't really care about my situation. Maybe I should uh, believe in deism. God just kind of, he's there, but he doesn't really care about the situations in my life. He just... Put us on earth and whatever happens, happens. You see, it can be difficult when we don't see change. Because we are actually programmed, especially here in North America, we are a results-oriented society. Would you agree with that? You know, if you do this, you should see this. I go to Pizza Hut, I get a pizza in 30 minutes or less, or it's free. You know, we, we, we look at things to happen Quickly, we believe that things should change quickly. And I talked about even this uh, that the challenge is that we put our hope, I believe, in predetermined results instead of in God many times. And I talked a couple of weeks about the effect, uh, about the, the, the theory of cause or the principle of cause and effect that when we do things, if we, we, we repent, then God responds to us. But what we have to understand that even though we can do things that will eventually lead to fruitfulness because if we believe the Bible, that's what the Bible says. The one thing that we cannot determine is the timing. 
or how God is going to answer the prayer, especially when it comes to spirit-led results. You see, God's timing and perspective rarely line up with our expectations. Can I say that again? <laughs> I know some of you are like, you're supposed to be preaching about hope and joyfulness and dancing. That kind of, this kind of sounds a little heavy. God's timing and perspective rarely line up with our expectations. You see, God sees farther into the future and deeper into situations than we do. Why? Because he sits in eternity. He sees the long game of our life. He doesn't look at it like, you know, you have a, a, a few weeks to do this or, or the results need to happen in a year or even two years. You see, he doesn't play by our rules, but he is the Lord of the rules. <laughs> he determines what is best and uses his timing. Now, and if that upsets you, I just got to say this, I'm not trying to be cold-hearted. That's on you. Not on him, because he's not a genie who caters to our, every, all of our wishes. <laughs> I've had to talk to people about this in counseling and stuff, that sometimes people get caught up and they're frustrated with God and they're mad at God. And I'm like, why are you mad at him? Because I mean, he doesn't answer my prayers. And I'm like, oh, you mean he doesn't just do what you want him to do? Because if that was the case, then who's really God? <laughs> Just a thought. Because he's the God of the universe, I believe we shouldn't place him inside of the box of our will or our understanding. You see, you have to remember this. What the enemy does to us, what his desire is, is he doesn't need to cause you all sorts of pain and frustration, even though that's his job description, is to steal, kill, and to destroy. But really where he begins, where he starts things, and where he wants us to live, even as followers of Jesus, is just if we get to the place where we question the goodness of God. That somehow maybe he doesn't like us. Somehow he doesn't have good intentions for us. Somehow he's not thinking good things for his people. Because here's what I want you to understand. Whenever we question the goodness of God... We're always left feeling hopeless and in a state of despair. It's the end result of when you start going, yeah, God, I just don't, I don't know about you. And it doesn't mean that sometimes we don't question, but we can't, we can't live there. We gotta go away from that. We have to remind ourselves. We just sang about it this morning, didn't we? God is so good, so good to me. Now, do we believe it? And it's hard sometimes when the things around us aren't good. <laughs> but he's still good. I say it's like drinking a soda pop after a full workout. It's never satisfying and we just end up feeling awful. Here's something else I want to bring out about this situation. It's this that times are most difficult usually right before the turnaround happens. You know, you're praying for something, you're believing for something, you're hoping for God to do things, and all of a sudden, you're asking God, he's told you in your heart, he's gonna bless you, he's gonna prosper you, and then you lose your job. Or, 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 or you, you, you're believing for a, a relationship to change, you've been praying for one of your kids, or you've been praying for your spouse, or you've been praying for that neighbor, and you've been praying for them, believing God's going to change your life, and they just 
go crazy and go deeper into whatever their craziness is, the sin in their life, whatever it is. And a lot of times I've seen this, and we're going to see this from this story, that the, the time is most difficult right before the turnaround is about to happen. Because the Bible says like every other year, Hannah's sister wife would mock her, reminding her that she was childless. And you know what? It's hard to endure insults, and predictably it would have brought Hannah to tears. But we even see here, and we're going to see this in the next verse, that to add insult to injury, in a moment we're going to see where Eli, the high priest, falsely accuses her of being drunk. She goes to church because she's in need. And the pastor says, you're drunk. <laughs> she didn't already, she already didn't want to go to church. And now the most powerful man in Israel, Pastor Eli, accuses her of public intoxication. You've probably heard this saying, it's always darkest right before the dawn. I've discovered this principle in life. Life is most challenging right before there is change. The hardest days are usually right before the breakthrough, right before the turnaround, right before things. So what am I trying to say to you? You have to keep believing. You need to hold on to Jesus. Many times we do not experience the blessing we've prayed for because we become frustrated and give up when the darkness is about to turn to dawn. I'll never forget when my dad came to Jesus. I'll never forget when he came to the Lord. I, my, my dad, I remember when I first became a Christian, I was about 10 or 11 years old, I, I've shared this story. I was at Royal Rangers in our church, and God began to move in our life. And I'll, 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 I'll say this, and if my dad was here, he would agree and probably not be happy about it. But there were times that he, he kind of made fun of me, made fun of my sister, made fun of our family for getting into all the Jesus stuff and getting crazy and doing all those things. But I prayed, and I prayed. So I, I realized when I was about 12 that I began to pray that God would, would touch my, my dad's life, and I would pray, and I would believe, and I would, there would be moments where there would be uh, good opportunities, and then it would seem like my dad was so far away from it, and he just didn't want anything to do with it. And so I kept praying for years. And when I was, listen to this, when I was 21 years old, or no, 20 years old, my dad's company, because of the economy, shut down overnight. His salary was gone. His pension was gone. Everything he'd built his life in security was gone. And he was starting to search for things. He was starting to look for things. He was starting to ask about certain things. And so I'd been praying from the time I was 12 years old till I was 20 years old, and I didn't really see anything happening. And I've, I want you to understand this. And then my dad lost his job, which impacted all of us. <laughs> Got to be careful what you ask for. And you say, God, do whatever it takes. God will do whatever it takes. <laughs> and so he got depressed. He got discouraged. And I remember he came to me, and I was about ready to play my 
a basketball game, and he said, hey, I got something I want to talk to you about after the game. And of course, well, like, why would you do that before the game? Played the game, got done. He started talking about the weather and all this stuff. It's like, dad, dad, what, what, what's, what, what, you, what, you didn't hear to talk about this. What did you want to talk to me about? Well, you know, I, I decided to give him a chance. Well, who's, well, who's him? Uh, you know, uh, God. I was like, God, okay, well, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I drank as much as I could. I was bitter. I even thought about taking my life. And I just, you know, I looked at you and your sister, and I said, maybe there's something to this. I'm going to give him a chance. My dad's a believer today. But it didn't happen overnight. Didn't happen with just one prayer. Didn't, didn't happen just in, in a moment. It didn't happen maybe in the timing. It didn't happen the way that I would have liked to have seen it happen. But you just hold on because, and don't give up because your turnaround is right around the corner. I hope today that there is some hope and faith that it's being breathed into some of your hearts for situations that you're believing for. 1 Samuel in chapter 112, it says, as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, and I just talked about this, and I probably could have thrown it here, but it, uh, oh, there's another point I want to make here, and it's seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound. He thought she had been drinking. Again, you must have come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. <laughs> oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow, she says. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. I want to say this is such a critical point. And I know that in the end of November that Pastor Peter and John talked to, uh, did a series about forgiveness. Because I want you to understand that I believe this, that we must resist offenses. If we want to see things turn around, we've got to be careful not to get offended or stay offended. One of the things that I'm very thankful for in my life is God's grace and forgiveness towards me. Who's thankful that God has forgiven you? Who's thankful that God has put up with some of your shenanigans at different places in your life? <laughs> That he's been gracious to you, he's been kind to you. And for the most part, I would like to believe that I tend to forgive people who have hurt me or offended me, or however, a few years ago, I found myself struggling to have peace in my heart and to find blessing in my relationships. In a holy moment, God spoke to me, saying I needed to let go of some things. And I was kind of like, what? He said, first of all, you got to let go of some disappointment and hurt that I developed towards some individuals that had wronged me. I don't care how long you, uh, how little you've lived on the earth or how long you've lived on the earth, you are going to have people that are going to disappoint you. And I don't care whether you're a pastor. I don't care whether you think that you're at some high position or you've arrived to a certain place for, in God. It doesn't matter. We all face the challenges of potential offenses. 
And so he said, I want you to let go of the disappointment and hurt. But even more deeply, listen to this, was the cynicism and the bad attitude I developed towards God. See, I'd subtly allowed myself to become offended with God because I believed he had let me down. He had allowed for these people to do their things and he didn't do anything about it. Again, my standards, my desires. He had not changed my situation. I didn't think he was listening to me. But here's what I discovered. When I let go of my hurt and my bitterness, God renewed, released favor and blessing upon my leadership and on the rest of my relationships. I want you to hear this. The greatest turnaround blocker, the greatest thing that will keep you from experiencing a turnaround in your life is unforgiveness. And the opportunity to be offended is unlimited, especially by those in authority in your life. Young people, I'm talking to you, you're just... You're younger, there's just so many people, your teachers, blah, blah, you can look at the world that can be offended. We go into the church, leaders, pastors, small, there's just, there's no limit to where we can get offended. And here's what we have to understand. Hannah did not allow her sister wife's taunting, or listen to this, Eli's insensitivity to harden her heart. And because she did not close her heart, which is what unforgiveness and bitterness do, It allowed her to push past the insults. And listen to this. She was able to receive the word of the Lord that Eli spoke to her. Think about that. Some of you are missing what God is saying to you because you're holding on to offenses. And God, I just pray right now, God would just speak to you just to let go of that thing, let go of that thing, let go of that thing. Because God has things he wants to reveal to you. And some of you cannot hear God's voice because your ears are closed because of the unforgiveness and bitterness. We see Hannah continue to believe God through her pain, which opened her womb to become fruitful. You see, when we reject and release offense, it opens the door to fruitfulness in our life. I don't know about you, I want to be more fruitful. I want to to see more fruitfulness come out of my life. Who here wants to see God release fruitfulness out of you, out of your spirit? I want to encourage you. Don't hold on to any negativity. Don't hold on to offenses. You see, Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, that offenses are guaranteed to happen. You cannot control what people do to you. You cannot control what people are going to say to you. You cannot even avoid challenges in life like the death of a family member or the disappointment of a job loss or some other event. Those things are out of your control. However, you always have the choice of whether or not you'll be offended. It's completely in your control. You see, we live in a world that says, hey, if bad things happen to you, you can't help it. Yes, you can. You always have a choice whether you dive into that or you say no. You will choose to make offenses either obstacles or they will become opportunities. And here's the last thing I want to share, and I'm going to ask John and the the worship team to come up here. What did she do? Here's the last thing that we want to do that's a part of our turnarounds, turning our mourning into dancing, is she continued to praise him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad 
Hannah believed the word of the Lord and praised God. I want today for us to understand this, that God wants you to believe the word of the Lord over you, and you are called to praise him. God wants you to praise him. You see, thanksgiving and praise are signs that we have faith in God. It is hard to worship God. It's hard to rejoice in God when you don't have good thoughts towards God or you don't believe that he's who he says he is. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. You know what I never read in that passage? Rejoice when you feel like it. Rejoice when it's all good. Rejoice when everything is going the way that you think it should be. No, I just read it. It says rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. <laughs> no matter the situation, we are called to rejoice in the goodness of God. You see, as we worship Jesus, we will see breakthrough. We will see victory. And that's a promise for each of us. It's a promise for us as individuals. It's a promise for our church. And here's the crazy thing, and I might scare some people here today, and you're gonna do whatever you're gonna do. I just wanna let the Holy Spirit speak to you, but the word rejoice literally means to jump and spin around in celebration. And some of you are like, well, uh, that's crazy. No, it's not any crazier than when the flames finally win a game. You get excited and you're in front of your TV and they score and you jump up. It's not any weirder than being in a place where you found out you just won a big prize or your best friend is visiting you that you haven't seen in two years and they come to your door or you're at the airport and you get all excited. You see, it's an emotional response to, that leads to a physical reaction. And I go back to this when David exclaimed, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning. You've clothed me with joy that I might sing the praises to you and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. You see, when we begin to celebrate, and, and, and I want you to know this, I'm not trying to create emotional responses here today. But I'm trying to challenge you to see, to remind yourself of all of the good things that God has done in your life. I'm trying to remind you to, to, to begin to focus on who God is, that he's bigger and he's worthy of our praise. And however that bubbles up out, outside of you, and maybe you're not a real emotional person anytime and you just kind of maybe let a hallelujah out or something, whatever it is that, that, that comes out of your spirit that says, God, I'm rejoicing in you. I believe today that God wants us to do this because I believe this, that when we rejoice or we dance, it, it not only is a celebration, but it is a sign that we're putting the enemy under our feet, that the enemy has no authority over our life that we're not, we're not submitting to, to what he's doing. It's a declaration that we are not defeated, but that we are overcomers. You see, you can say to the enemy, you can come at me, but I will not be moved, I will not be stopped, I will not be brought down, but I will put those things under my feet. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your face. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 
You see, the frustration in our lives, it can be real. I believe it's real. We don't discount it. You might be disappointed about where you're at and what you're going through. You might be mad at some friends, family, or even God. You might be frustrated with the government, the economy, the weather. You might have some offenses and you might be holding on to you, but today is a day to let go of those things. Today is a day of turnarounds. Today is a day to put those things under our feet. Today is to say, I'm not gonna let those things hold me back from receiving what God has for me because God is greater and God is good. And so if you believe that with me, would you just stand to your feet and we're just gonna worship God. That's what we're gonna do today as we end this time. We're gonna believe God, he's gonna conquer these things in our life. And if you wanna come up and you wanna dance, you wanna dance wherever you are, you do what you wanna do. But today I choose to rejoice because my God is bigger and we're gonna turn morning into dancing here today. He's a